The odds of a plaintiff's lawyer winning in civil court are two to one against. Think about that for a second. Your odds of surviving a game of Russian roulette are better than winning a case at trial. 12 times better. So why does anyone do it? They don't. They settle. Out of the 780,000 cases filed each year, only 12,000, or one and a half percent, ever reach a verdict. The whole idea of lawsuits is to settle, to compel the other side to settle. And you do that by spending more money than you should, which forces them to spend more money than they should. And whoever comes to their senses first, loses. Trials are a corruption of the entire process, and only fools with something to prove end up ensnared in them. And when I say prove, I don't mean about the case. Look who's here. I mean about themselves. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Hey, I opened up with that clip from a civil action because I see uh, we're seeing some stuff on the news. We're seeing some stuff on the news with uh, with Mr. President Trump and Mr. Michael Cohen, his uh, his uh, so-called lawyer that we're going to talk about in just a minute. That just says, you know what? In order to understand everything that's going on, you need to understand the the trial process and that scene was from a civil action if you if you've never been involved in a trial somebody suing you for something that uh is legit or not legit you just don't know you just don't know the you know what the only people that win in court are the lawyers and but we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a couple minutes but first before we get into that let me introduce myself my name is ed hoffman president wholesale capital corporation your local direct mortgage lender located here in southern california offices all over the place lending in california and arizona if you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing call me toll free at 855-640-2020 that's 855-640-2020 one last time day or night Area code 855-640-2020. If you want to uh, get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone until you find out that the waters are friendly, you want to go to WCCLoans.com. That's www.WCCLoans.com. Put on there, uh, looking for a loan. You'll find all kinds of information on on different mortgage products, and you'll find, uh, then go to looking for a loan, and then click on apply now and put in as much information as you want me to have and tell me how much information you're looking to get back from me. You'll hear back from either myself or one of my uh, talented teammates, Eric Marquez, Alex Rojas, Cody Bradbury, or Aaron Fredericks, and uh, we'll help you find the missing piece to your real estate financing puzzle. Uh, We all work on all these loans together, so if you don't actually talk to me at the beginning, you might talk to me at any given time throughout the transaction because we... We work as a team, and uh, we are the team. We are the A team of mortgage financing. Hey, uh, if you want, if you want to hear something repeated that you hear on the show, or you want to hear the whole show over, you can get the podcast at edhoffman.net. Go to Ed Hoffman, click on the podcast page. You'll hear this show as well as well several past shows. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, where you can uh, download the the uh, podcast list, listen on demand. You can also subscribe for free, have it automatically download to your. Uh, 
to your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod, your mini pad, your maxi pad, your computer, whatever you want, whatever you listen to iPods or uh, podcasts on and uh, listen to it on demand. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, where I tweet about current events all week long. You also follow the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash the main event at Hoffman. And uh, let's see, what else do I need to say before we start talking? Uh, if you want to make some comments on the show, the listener hotline is 855-640-2092. That's a, that's a voicemail. So if you call it and expected me to answer, you won't. Uh, it's a it's a voicemail, so you can leave some comments and uh, just may play you on the show. So uh, let's talk about. Oh, also in with in the studio with me as about half the time, my buddy Scott McAfee, owner of Don's Bikes in Rialto and Redlands. Scotty, welcome more, back. More fun than Disneyland, Ed. Uh, I know that is people people at Disneyland. Uh, I think Disneyland saying the happiest place on earth. I just don't know. They haven't been in the studio with us. No, they haven't. They have no idea what they're missing. Um, I know we have a lot of topics to get to. I want to say one thing. I know you played a lot of clips of Hillary Clinton last weekend, and I actually saw her speaking during one of those clips. Live? Well, yeah, yeah, I saw it. Well, no, it wasn't live. It was it was a replay of the clip. But the thing that struck me is, like, she's wearing my grandmother's bathrobe. You know, like, like she has no sense of style whatsoever, and also no very little to no makeup. And I'm thinking, when you lose a presidential election, does that mean that all the hair and makeup people just like go home? Maybe, maybe she ran out of money. Well, maybe, or or maybe she's just trying to get sympathy. Like for maybe that's the new approach if she's going to run in 2020. Yeah, make people feel bad for her. Trump beat me in more <laughs> ways than one. <laughs> Help me. Exactly. I've fallen and I can't get up. Exactly. She <laughs> they they beat her with an ugly stick. Mm, oh. That chick is ugly to the core. It's more than just her looks. Mm. So we were talking about, I was talking in the opening about uh, the trial and trial trial lawyers and how the how the trial thing works. And uh, the reference is specifically to President's formerly loyal attorney Michael Cohen is now believed to be cooperating with Robert Mueller's investigation. I don't think it's a question of believing or not. Um, because for some reason, part of the cooperation includes uh, hiring Bill Clinton's impeachment counsel to be his attorney and leaking a tape he secretly made of Trump to CNN, which what kind of lawyer tape records is uh, his clients? No, that, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. So now I know that if I'm speaking with my business attorney, I have to automatically assume that he's taping everything. I, I don't understand. Why, why would a lawyer tape your client? It, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I know. Uh, I usually have verbal conversations with my with my lawyer so that we don't memorialize anything that I might say in uh, on email. I thought that was the concern, but apparently the uh, <clears throat> I know my attorney always says, "Hey, this is the stuff that we want to say, what we don't want to say, and this is uh, why we don't want to put this in writing." And we don't want to we don't want to approach things this way. Well, maybe your attorney should tell you this call may be recorded for quality control. He never does. Oh. Never does, so I okay. think I think I got a guy I can trust. All right, uh, you but, hope, but so did Trump thought the same thing. <laughs> so this week, Cohen's attorney Lanny Davis, Lanny Davis, who who talked on the TV like, you know, uh, you know, this is this is not fact. This is this is not uh, uh, accusation. This is fact. <laughs> so uh, this guy is uh, definitely not masculine. He leaked he leaked to CNN a tape of Cohen and then presidential candidate Donald Trump discussing how they would buy the rights to a story about one of Trump's alleged affairs. Okay, According to CNN, the tape confirms that the man who now occupies the Oval Office has contemporaneous knowledge of a proposal to buy the rights of a story 
of Karen McDougal, a woman who has al- who has alleged that she had an extramarital affair with Trump about a decade ago. Ooh, this is this is breaking news. In the recording, Cohen is telling Trump about his plans to set up a shell company in order to finance the purchase of the story rights from American Media, which publishes the National Enquirer. Now, before we play the play this uh, little piece of the tape, let's let's take notice when when Scott and I were listening to it. Scott pointed out that he sure sounds like he knows he's being recorded. What? Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, he's, you can be very careful about how candid Trump is talking and and how scripted Cohen sounds. Right. Yeah, he knows. He's obviously knows he's recording himself. So he's like he's very careful about every word, and he's almost kind of leading in his in his dialogue as well. Like, hey, well, let me lead you in a certain direction. I'm trying to set you up. So yeah, in case, pretty just, much. Just in case when you're the president, you don't need me anymore. I can still get some money out of you. Let's play it. I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David, you know, so that I'm going to do that right away. I've actually come up and I've spoken spoken to Alan Weisselberg about how to set the whole thing up uh, with funding. uh, Yes. Um, And it's all the stuff, all the stuff, because, you know, you never know where that company, you never know where he's going to be. Correct. So I'm, I'm all over that. And I spoke to Alan about it when it comes time for the financing, which will be... Listen, what financing? We'll have to pay you. So no, 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 no. I got... So you don't, you don't hear it really clear, but at some point he says, don't pay in cash. And uh, he says, oh, no, 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 I'll take care of it. So he said, uh, I think he said, don't pay in cash, no cash, check. And then, uh, so I would think... Somebody who who's saying, "Hey, don't pay cash, pay check." He's not worried about memorializing something. Uh, doesn't sound like Trump has has stuff to uh, to uh, hide per se. Although I'm sure he didn't realize he was being uh, recorded. Um, and when he refers to our friend, our friend is David Pecker, the uh, publisher of National Enquirer. So wait a minute, you're telling me Ed that David Pecker is the head of the National Enquirer? Yeah. <laughs> yes, he is. Okay. All right. Yes, he is. <laughs> so uh, he's got a he's got a variety of variety of friends in this uh, Russian Russian collusion thing. You know, what? and I think we should probably think about think. But we probably should play that clip one more time and say, listen to what he's saying. Listen carefully to what Trump says. And you know, when he says right in the beginning, hey, you know about we need to get up for, to take care of our friend David. And then he talk, he talks about. You know, we need to, you know, for when it comes down to financing and Trump goes, what financing? And he goes, oh, you know, paying a, uh, and he goes, okay, no cash, check. Okay, go ahead, play it one more time. I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David, you know, so that I'm going to do that right away. I've actually come up and and I've spoken to Alan Weisselberg about how to set the whole thing up uh, with funding. uh, Yes. Um, and it's all the stuff, all the stuff, because, you know, you never know where that company, you never know where he's going to be. Correct. So I'm, I'm all over that. And I spoke to Alan about it when it comes time for the financing, which will be, listen, what financing? We'll have to pay you. So no, 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 no. I got. Yeah. Don't pay, don't pay in cash. Okay. So, uh, here's, here's the president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, uh, on, on his opinion of the state. First of all, the major point is it's outrageous that someone would tape his client surreptitiously. And number two, it's also foolhardy for them to try to 
kind of yell and scream and make believe what's on the tape. And the transcript makes it quite clear at the end that President Trump says, quote, don't pay with cash. Cohen then interrupts and says, no, 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 I got it. Yes, and and my and my point at the beginning of the show with with uh, hey the reason for these trials people file lawsuits just to get paid off, and and my and my thought is my thought is uh, you know why why is this person alleging alleging he had a had an affair? Well, either number one he had an affair, which if he did or he didn't, I don't really care. Do you, Scott? Um, well, it's not the most uh, important thing going on in the country right now. No, no, uh, you know, and and I'm and I'm of the I'm. I would like to. I would like to to know that Trump is a more uh, honorable guy to his wife um, than that. But you know, based on what's going on in the country, I don't. You know, we had a Boy Scout Mitt Romney that was running for president. He couldn't win, and we've had all kinds of nice guys in there. You know, uh, George Bush, I think, is an honorable guy, and I think he's a, a Christian guy. And uh, but he couldn't. He couldn't quite get it right. And our country needed that. Our country needed. A major turnaround, and I think Trump's the guy, and uh, and all evidence is saying that we were right about that. Um, the tape, the tape was so you know as far as that that's concerned. But you know, did this person, uh, uh, the the Playboy playmate, did she really have a did she really have an affair with him? Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. I do find it kind of amusing that we're talking about buying stories from the National Enquirer. Ed. I mean, come in, like how reputable really is the National Enquirer? Exactly. I mean, you know, like I'm sure you get a subscription along with the Wall Street Journal every day, right? Yeah, they come they come right to they, <laughs> Is that is that a daily thing or a weekly thing? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I only you know, I get to you know, once in a while I go to the grocery store with my wife and Right, and there it is. And there it is, and you know, you find yeah. out who's pregnant lately, you know. The, right, or who might be pregnant or like the Jennifer Aniston may be getting married or that the Martian invasion is happening next week. Yeah, there's some there's some there's some good Breaking news stuff that oh, happens, yeah. happens on that. So uh, the tape was first played on Chris Cuomo's show, which Chris Cuomo is uh, is Mario uh, Mario Cuomo, former governor of New York, uh, uh, his son, um, and I think Andrew Cuomo, his brother, is now uh, now the governor, right? Mm-hmm. Or I don't know who it was. Uh, so here's Lanny. Here's Lanny Damon. Looked right in, right into the camera to speak to Trump supporters about what they were hearing. Only people who use cash are drug dealers and mobsters. This, Mr. This and Mrs. Trump America, listen to the tape. I know you don't believe fake news. Don't believe fake transcripts. The tape says what it says. Nothing that Giuliani or President Trump can do can alter what's on the tape. Yeah, there's nothing that anyone Giuliani or the president can do that alters what's on the tape. I didn't. I didn't really hear anything on the tape. I'm not even sure what the hell I did here. But it's one more obviously smoking gun. Where maybe this will bring Trump down, Ed. Exactly. Let's keep throwing you know what at the wall and see what sticks. Exactly. So I, you know, the bottom line is, uh, so what? Who cares? Yeah, pretty much. So do you care? I don't care. So hopefully nobody else cares because it seems to have gotten quiet. But I wanted to start out with that because you know it fit the clip for uh, civil action. So uh, there's plenty of other developments in the witch hunt. Witch hunt this week, starting with the release of. Documents that outline the FBI surveillance of the Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. So the witch hunt being, you know, the uh, the the Russian collusion thing. So this week, the 412 pages, including the original FISA court application from 2016 and the 2017 surveillance warrants after Trump took office, were finally released by the Justice Department thanks to a lawsuit by Judicial Watch, who seems to be uh, the only organization able to get 
the government to release any information. The first FISA application filed October 2016, just weeks before Election Day, makes it very clear that the FBI believed what the FBI believed about Page. The FBI believes that Page has been a collaborating has been collaborating and conspiring with the Russian government, the application said. The FBI also claimed Page had established relationships with Russian government officials and intelligence officers, uh, spies, and uh, that he'd been under investigation by the U.S. In- intelligence agencies, including CIA, NSA, and FBI, for alleged contact that he's had with Russian officials under U.S. sanctions. Pay- and realize that Page is an oil industry consultant who has worked with Russia at various times during his career. And realize that Russia... All they, their only product that they create is oil. You know, if you realize what how uh, how uh, President Reagan uh, dumped the Soviet Union that got the got the uh, Soviet Union to fall was he uh, he outpaced them in the arms race because we spent money we didn't have nor that they had and they couldn't keep up and he uh, he pushed the prices of oil down so that they couldn't even basically feed their feed their people. Um, so Carter Page did, he did uh, travel to Russia in July, 2016, as the uh, FISA warrant application said, but it was to deliver a public commencement address to a new economic school. Here he is discussing the accusations with Jake Tapper of CNN. Well, were you ever an agent of a foreign power? Did you ever advise the Kremlin or work with the Kremlin on anything? Look, Jake, I, uh, no, I've, I've never been an agent of the foreign power. power in any by any stretch of the imagination you know i I may have uh back in the g20 when they were getting ready to do that in st petersburg i might have uh, participated in a a few meetings that a lot of people including people from the obama administration were sitting on in geneva uh, paris etc but i've never been uh anywhere near what's being described here in but you, so you have advised the Kremlin in the past. Uh, that was 2013, that G20 meeting, I believe. Look, it was, a, there were experts from around the world talking about energy issues, and I was one of countless company, you know, myself and a lot of academics and business people who were involved in these various discussion center, uh, sessions, but it was nothing. But, the, but, but you did advise the Kremlin. I mean, I'm just, I just want to make, make it clear. You did advise the Kremlin back in 2013 or 2012, somewhere in there. Jake, that's, it's really spin. I mean, I, I was sat in on, on some meetings, but you know, to call me an advisor, I think is, is way over the, over the top. I would agree. I would agree that, you know, hey, I went to, I went to a mortgage bankers conference in Washington, DC a few, few years ago. And, and, you know, there was, there, I was in an audience listening to Richard Cordray, the head of the director of the uh, CFPB. And, uh, you know, I was in a big crowd of people and he did make a comment and I did give him my opinion on it. And I don't know if he heard me, but everybody in the audience heard me. And, uh, I just said two words. And when he made, he made the (laughs) comment said the affordable care act is going to, uh, save the housing industry. And it was quiet. You could hear a pin drop. And I just kind of under my breath, but apparently too loud because Don, what were the two words, Ed? Uh, they started with B and they started with S. And everyone <laughs> turned around and I just said, you guys are all thinking the same thing. So I wouldn't say that I was advising the CFPB. I think that was advice. So well, I was in a meeting with, I don't know, 2,500 other people. Hmm. And I did make a comment. 
I don't know if I'd be considered a consultant to the CFPB. Mm. Carter Page is an interesting character for sure. Um, and but no, notice he's never been charged with anything. He's been he's been under surveillance for like forever. Never charged with anything. Uh, he's also talking to CNN. He has no no problem with that. Doesn't seem like he really has anything to hide. His life, by the way, has been wrecked economically. He seems to be taking all this in stride. But he's one more of the casualties uh, uh, and an example of anybody that maybe has worked and helped Trump on his campaign. That's that's getting their life destroyed after the fact and pretty much pretty much after the obama administration pretty much everybody's trying to be as transparent as they can be and say hey you know what i don't know if i'd be called a an advice and and you know an advisor i don't know if i'd be this and and people are talking people are not saying you know under uh the uh, the advisement of the attorney of the fbi i'm uh, asserting my fifth amendment privileges you know there's there's none of hey we're having conversations what do you call me an advisor? I don't think you call me an advisor. I was there with a whole bunch of other people. Well, and you can see obviously where Tapper is trying to lead these questions. Did you or did you not advise the Kremlin? Like, like he's sitting there next to Vladimir Putin, and Putin's like, "Tell us, tell us, Carter Page, how do we, how do we uh, usurp the American election? You must have this information. Please give it to us now." Carter Page, can yes. you give us the exact date you stopped beating your wife? <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> exactly. And on Wednesday, the Senate, Senate Foreign Relations Committee wasted Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's time by calling him to Capitol Hill for testimony on President, Trump, President Trump's meeting with Vladimir Putin. Here's one. Suppose here, Here's the supposedly Republican chairman of the committee, Bob Corker, asking Pompeo why there seems to be a disconnect between the president's friendly relationship with Putin and his administration's tough treatment of Russia. What is it that causes the president to purposely, purposely, create distrust in these institutions and what we're doing. Senator, I, I just I disagree with most of what you just said there. Um, you somehow disconnect the administration's activities from the president's actions. They're, they're, they're the one and the same. This is President Trump's administration. Make no mistake who's fully in charge of this. Yeah. And it was directing each of these activities that has caused Vladimir Putin to be in a very difficult place today. I notice that you are not responding to what I'm saying. I think I think I responded yeah. to everything that you Why, said, Senator. It's the president's public statements that create concern amongst senators on both sides of the aisle. And it's the president's public concern about what it says on both sides of the aisle. You know, what did you expect him to say? He's standing there in a press conference with with uh, Vladimir Putin sitting next to him, you're trying to establish some kind of a relationship. You know, you know, it reminds me of a scene from Love Actually. Uh, Mr. President, uh, has it been a good visit? Very satisfactory indeed. We uh, got what we came for, and our special relationship is still very special. Yeah, still very special. Still very special. That's what he, that's what he should have said. You know, it's a it's. It, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he does. They're going to criticize it. Democrat Bob Menendez also grilled Pompeo, pushing for details on what happened behind closed doors with Putin. For some reason, he was fixated on whether Trump showed Putin support support or criticism in regards to Russia's 2014 seizure of Crimea. When he had a chance, did he confront Putin and say, we don't recognize your annexation of Crimea? The president was very clear with Vladimir Putin about U.S. positions. And that he told you that. Senator... I'm telling you what he had a conversation with Vladimir Putin about, 
and I'm telling you what U.S. policy is today. I understand, Senator. I understand the game that you're playing. No, I get no, it. you know, Mr. Secretary, I, I I, with it. all due respect, yeah, I don't I appreciate it. you characterizing my questions, Senator. Presidents are permitted to have conversations with their cabinet members that aren't repeated in public. Yeah. Um, what, what is it? Well, again, what is he supposed to do? Uh, of course, Trump can't do anything without getting criticism. And earlier this week, Sarah Sanders had to fend off a reporter who wanted to know how the president's national security team was getting their information about the meeting with Putin. When he briefs them, is he relying solely on his own memory to tell them what happened during that two-hour meeting? Uh, the president has met and consulted with all of his national security team, and we feel very confident. It's those on what process. he remembers that happened. It's not. Caitlin, I'm not going to go into the specific details on how the president uh, interacts every single time with his national security team. Well, this is a rare but though. It's a sit down with the Russian president. It's actually not a rarity. It's a, a normal practice for two world leaders to be able to have a conversation but with one another. Well, you know what? Sarah Sanders is a rock star, and I like the way she handles herself. And uh, Dad Gummit will talk more about that in part two of the main event because we're out of time. Stay tuned for five minutes of traffic, weather, uh, commercials, and sports. And we'll be right back with part two of the main event. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman, president of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. I don't talk a lot about uh, real estate financing on the radio because uh, I just assume you guys think it's boring. But uh, I do talk about things that are important to uh, our country and to you and to me. And uh, so if you hear somebody that thinks like you and you want you need some mortgage financing, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. 2020. So I uh, got in the studio with me, if you're just joining us uh, halfway through, uh, Mr. Scott McAfee, a proprietor of Don's Bikes. And uh, we've been talking about the witch hunt and the stuff that stuff that's going on um, and the obsession with uh, what Trump and Putin talked about. And we talked about this a little last week, and I had one of our listeners uh, uh, send me an email and regarding regarding some, another another theory. And uh, there's a guy named Jerome Corsi who wrote a book called uh, Killing the, the Deep State and, uh, and the, in support of uh, Donald Trump. And uh, their theory is, and it sure makes sense. And I have this book. I bought it. My, my wife said, hey, get me, order me this book on Amazon. Uh, I like to listen to books. She likes to read them. Um, and she, uh, so I order, order her that book and another book, but she started with the other book first. So she's reading it now. Um, as then I'll get to it when I put it on my, on my, uh, iTunes book thing so I could listen to it. Um, Jerome Corsi ha- his theory is, and it makes sense. The Democrats don't want Trump talking to Putin because Putin knows what was going on with the deep state. He knows what was going on between the Democratic National Committee and uh, and the Russians. He knows what was going on with Christopher Steele and the and the dossier they created. He knows who was paying who with the Hillary campaign. He knows all that stuff that's going on. And, uh, and they don't want Trump and Putin talking one-on-one because who knows what will happen? Who knows what will come up in conversation? Who knows... Where that leads, because apparently the theory is it it will lead all the way back to uh, Barack Hussein Obama and Hillary Clinton and James Comey and Loretta Lynch and all those people. And quite frankly, I don't want to be conspiracy theorist, but I believe it. 
I want to. I believe. I believe it will. And if it, all the truth all comes out, they weren't exactly the uh, the most transparent administration, were they? No, for sure. And I think you know a lot of the, the deep state thing. And I'm like you. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but you know there is a big concern or about language. the shadow government. Uh, the idea that there's a government that operates outside of the government that we all know that can kind of make up their own rules and that that is sort of outside, uh, that is above the law. People like Hillary Clinton. And I've always wondered, well, who exactly are these people, right? And, and I think as time goes on, we're going to start to learn who these people are. And some of them are these former FBI directors, former CIA directors. And, and the, the concern is that these people are in positions of huge power. And they could literally just say at any point in time, you know what? I don't like this person. I want them crushed. And they can crush us through through legal means and economic means. And uh, and it's just that's not what the country's based on is that kind of stuff. Exactly. And you can see how the control they have over the media because they, oh, yeah. con- they control the money. They control the money, and and one little thing can ruin somebody's career. Ask uh, Rosie uh, Roseanne Barr uh, as to you know one one little thing. You know, I think I think had Roseanne Barr's uh, tweet uh, not been amplified by, I think it would have gone over, and nobody would have even thought of it. Because if if you look at Twitter, you look at Facebook posts, there's some pretty vile stuff out there. And if uh, and if nobody brought it to anybody's attention, it would have gone over like you know nothing. Hey, you know what? You're a Trump supporter, so you say you say radical stuff, uh, conservative, just like the uh, the Trump haters say some pretty nasty stuff as well. You know, and they they're talking out their butt because they don't know what what the hell's going on, and they make and they make comments about just dumb stuff that that has no bearing in reality. Well, I also find it interesting that you have former political operatives like Stephanopoulos and even Brennan. Now they're they're interesting. They're news commentators now. Ed. They're unbiased news commentators, right? Which leads us into our next subject: um, the security clearances and uh, the truth about John Brennan. In the in the light of ex-director John Bren- Brennan going on TV last week to accuse the president of committing treason. Remember, oh, it's treasonous. It's above and beyond. Uh, high crimes and misdemeanors, what he said. I'm, and we're both saying, what did he say? He said, uh, so I don't know why the, I don't know why the Russians would have been interested in that kind of stuff. So whatever, whatever he said, it was, it was a nothing, it was a, it was a nothing bird. It was a wish sandwich. So, uh, so in light of that, the white house is now addressing the issue of people like him hanging on to their security clearances. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders named six Obama administration members who may stand to lose their security clearance. Remember, all these people have transitioned out of their government positions and have now chosen to monetize their public service with cable news contracts and book, de- book deals. So when I say, you know, for those of you that go, yeah, I heard them say they're they're monetizing these things. That means they're taking all the stuff that they know and getting paid on it for going on TV news. Okay? So uh, these people are ex-CIA director... John Brennan, who, you know, it in 1976, it's known that he voted for the Communist Party candidate for president. He didn't like uh, Gerald Ford, and a lot of people didn't like Gerald Ford because he pardoned Richard Nixon. So he decided to vote for the commie. And, he, and, <laughs> and apparently, apparently uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, peanut farmer from Georgia, wasn't... Wasn't, uh, wasn't far wasn't, left enough. Wasn't far left enough. So he <laughs> voted for the Communist Party. Nice. And now he's now he's talking about treason. And then there's a former FBI director James Comey who uh, who know who knows what he's what he's in on. He wrote a book and uh, he leaked stuff to the New York Times and uh, through a friend and just admitted it in court and. Uh, you know, who knows what, who knows what he's, what he's got going. Former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, who basically has been proven to have lied to, uh, 
Senate Judiciary Committee or the House, uh, one of those committees that he was testifying in front of about what he knew, what he didn't know. Former CIA director Michael Hayden, who was actually uh, part of the Bush CIA. Um, uh, former National Security Advisor Susan Rice, the one who lied about Benghazi. And you know what's so funny is we know for a fact that Obama administration made this story up. Spontaneous demonstration, Ed. Exactly. And they and they we know from the fact on the emails that that they found on uh, the on the uh, the Hillary Clinton server that they knew it wasn't that it was terrorism before they made this announcement. So they made up this story, put a guy in jail, him, uh, you know, uh, uh, Clinton uh, lied about it. Susan Rice lied about it. And Barack Hussein Obama lied about it. We know about that stuff. She's out there trying to make money. And former FBI director, uh, deputy director, Andrew McCabe, who just got fired. Didn't he just get fired right before his pension was due about three months ago? Like the day before Ed, I think. So he's out, he's out, uh, he's out trying to make money off Mm. what he knows. In Tuesday's press briefings, ABC's Terry Moran asked Sarah Sanders whether this was a punishment of the of the president's critics. The president is threatening to punish Brennan and Comey and Clapper for saying things about him that he doesn't like. Uh, is that presidential? The, the president is exploring these mechanisms to resume... Uh, remove security clearance because they've politicized and in some cases actually monetized their public service and their security clearances and making baseless accusations of improper contact with Russia or being influenced by Russia against the president is extremely inappropriate. The president contends that the fact that people with security clearances are making these baseless charges provides inappropriate legitimacy to accusations with zero evidence. So when we have further updates on that front, I'll certainly let you know. Speech he doesn't like anyone wants to punish them for it. Uh, no, I think you are uh, creating your own story there. The president doesn't like the fact that people are politicizing uh, agencies and um, departments that are specifically meant to not be political and not meant to be monetized off of security clearance. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't know what Sarah Sanders gets paid, but it's not enough. Exactly. I mean, the, and the poor thing can't even get like a seat at a restaurant in D.C. nowadays. And she only she needs to go to more expensive restaurants, apparently, <laughs> I guess. Where, where Democrats can't afford to get in. <laughs> so because, you know, you got to have a job to have enough money to eat at the nice places. So uh, and Democrats apparently don't. They that's why they can put on pink hats and go act stupid in Washington, D.C. So, uh, you know what? I think she's I think she's exactly right that you know they're creating their own story. However, the first person to propose this doesn't work at the White House at all. After John Brennan's whirlwind tour of treason in the media last week, Senator Rand Paul was the first to propose revoking Brennan's clearance. John Brennan leaked information that almost cost the life of a double agent. This is four years ago now. He should have been fired for that, but he wasn't fired by President Obama because I think he was a partisan. But now he's a talking head on the outside saying that basically President Trump should be executed. That's what we do for treason. And so, yeah, I'm very concerned about him having privileges. You know, when I heard uh, Sebastian Gorka talking on uh, on television, Actually, it was on the on the radio, but I was listening to the TV on the radio uh, through Sirius XM. So uh, I was listening listening to him say, "Hey, the only reason that people keep need their that would keep their security clearance once they're out of office is they're continuing to work in some other form of uh, with the you know, hey, maybe I'm not in my specific office, but I'm still working with the uh, with the department and require with uh, the government, or they're advising." 
their successor. So, hey, I need to be able to talk to the people who are taking over my job so I keep my security clearance so I'm allowed to talk about it and I'm allowed to have access to information. So uh, when, Rand, when Rand Paul says Brennan almost cost the life of a double agent, this is who he's talking about. It's a guy named John Kiraku, a 15-year CIA agent who the uh, Obama administration sent to federal prison for two years under the Espionage Act because he accidentally put the name of a fellow CIA agent, CIA agent who was still covert, in an email to a journalist. Sounds kind of like a uh, sounds. What was that? Na- the lady's name, Valerie Plame. Mm-hmm. Uh, big deal with uh, in uh, the movie uh, Fair Game. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, I'm I'm talking about movies you haven't watched. Nope. Uh, Kiriko says the leak obsession of the Obama administration, specifically John Brennan and Eric Holder left him bankrupt, unemployed, and a $1 million in debt. Now, I'll tell you another thing about John Brennan. This guy is very, very bright, and he's a survivor. Here he is, Barack Obama's Deputy National Security Advisor, Barack Obama's CIA Director. But he was also the number three in George W. Bush's CIA. He was up to his neck in the torture program. So how is it that one day... He's a George W. Bush neocon, and the next day, he's a Barack Obama neoliberal. That is what a, what a survivor John Brennan is. He's a chameleon, and he can morph into anything. My last point about John Brennan is that this guy is dangerous to our democracy. If John Brennan had his way, everyone would be under suspicion. Scary. Yeah, it does. And it also, again, it, it comes back to that shadow government. Like these people are in positions of power. And some of these, I think, have screws loose too, by the way. Uh, but they're in positions of great power. And and coming back to the security clearance thing, I know you I talked about this off the air. And the point is, if you had somebody within your company who either left or was fired, they don't have the keys to the place anymore, right, Ed? Nope. Okay. And also, if you had somebody that, let's say, worked in your accounting department, they don't have access to your banking information any longer. Is that also true? Uh, that is also true. Their uh, their passwords get immediately canceled. Okay. Well, there you go. And, and I, as far as my, my business, if I have somebody, somebody that has a key to the place, right, like management who, again, either leaves or is fired... I'm changing the locks on the playset because they don't need access to my store. They don't need access to your business records any longer. That role's done. So why would these people even have security clearances anyways? They're not doing anything with the government. There's only one reason why they would resent them being taken away. And that's because, as we talked about a moment ago, they're able to monetize these things because it gives them some kind of secret power that maybe they can pull out something that will eventually take Trump down. Yeah, you think you'd think that they would uh, cut off that stuff right away. You'd you think, think just like we uh, we thought we talked about uh, in the past about you know hey why didn't Trump fire everybody in the Obama administration or everybody in the white everybody who was an Obama um, employee in the White House when he first came in and I realize why he didn't but it sure would have been smart if he could have. Well, and I hate to say it too, it seems like some of these people are almost unfireable. You know, these government employees, these lower level government employees, it's hard to get rid of them. You know, they're like uh, they're like cockroaches. It's just hard. You you just you spray and you <laughs> and you stomp, and then uh, you you think you got rid of them, and you, as soon as you turn off the lights, they all come out. Anyway, that's a cockroach uh, <laughs> analogy. Analogy. Okay, yep. so so let's talk about some fun stuff. Let's yep. talk about some awesome stuff on Wednesday. This is this is the exciting stuff about uh about our new uh, our new president and our new growing uh, our new make america great campaign uh on wednesday president trump and european commission president uh jean claude juncker oh yeah <laughs> so today today we're talking we've talked about a guy named 
uh, David Pecker. And now and we're on to Junker. John Claude Junker. <laughs> I wonder, our, na- our, our next subject, we're going to talk about a guy named Johnson. <laughs> we can only hope, Ed. Exactly. So, uh, uh, so, uh, so President Trump and European Commission President Jean Claude Juncker agreed to work towards eliminating tariffs and barriers, barriers on trade, instantly de-escalating the trade war Democrats have been whining about for the past several months. So, think about this: people have been going, "Oh, he's putting tariffs on. He's going to create a trade war. He's going to do this. Going to do that." And then he came out with this: uh, "Hey, you know what? Uh, the farmers are being hurt by this. We're going to do a twelve billion dollar." Uh, a relief effort because I'm not changing my mind. This has to be the the tariffs have to be have to be fair. And Trump is a businessman and he knows, hey, if you're charging taxes, you're charging a tariff on everything that we sell to you guys to discourage your people from from buying more stuff from us, then we're going to do the same to you. How how else is that fair trade? And uh, which is common sense it seems to me it kind of is and I don't, i'm not going to sit here and claim to be an expert on on um tariffs and that sort of thing but when if, if, i think we would all agree that if we have massive trade imbalances with other countries that's a problem and we can also agree that whatever we've done in the past hasn't worked um and and the thing is that the u.s is a is a monster economy we have a ton of power we could literally crush china mexico or canada in any kind of trade war we choose to so i think the idea of putting some tariffs back on them with the idea that hey okay you don't like our tariffs we don't like yours either maybe we can negotiate to limit them all together i think that makes really good sense and you would think that as as big of a consumer and as big as a producer that we are that there that we would that we wouldn't have any issues but we have a bunch of uh, wusses that have been in the White House and been in charge of our uh, of our foreign relations that didn't understand basic math. Well, I think too, it's just the problem is the U.S. has been has been behaving like an economic lightweight when the reality is we're a heavyweight, and sometimes it's okay to use that influence and get what you want. You know exactly. So the two leaders agreed to increase imports of soybeans and liquefied natural gas. Which, if you heard uh, Trump's speech on Friday morning, um, that it he's he's closing a fifty he's closed a fifty billion dollar uh, fifty billion of the eight hundred seventeen billion dollar uh, trade deficit that we've had in previous years with uh, with a trade deficit that hey we we buy eight hundred seventeen billion dollars more more products than we sell to other countries and that's because they discourage their people from. From buying them, they make them more expensive by adding the tariffs. So, hey, no problem. You want to do that? We'll do that to you. So uh, they agreed to reach the goal of zero tariffs. They agreed to to reach the goal of zero tariffs and subsidies on non-auto industrial goods and to resolve recent tariffs that both sides have imposed, like tariffs on steel and aluminum that hurt the auto industry on both sides. Now economists are hopeful that similar agreement will happen with NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, and the other members being Mexico and Canada. Trump and Junker made the surprise announcement about the deal in the White House at Rose Garden. We agreed today, first of all, to work together towards zero tariffs, zero non-tariff barriers, and zero subsidies on non-auto industrial goods. Thank you. And the European Union is going to start almost immediately to buy a lot of soybeans. They're a tremendous market buy a lot of soybeans from our farmers. I don't know what the big deal is about soybeans. Uh, you know, they're, I, I see them at the Chinese restaurants and we go there to eat them at edamame, but you know, uh, apparently they're, they're more popular with other people than with me. 
Well, yeah, I, but you know, the, the thing I do like about Trump, though, is when he's talking about economic matters and things in general, is it's kind of just plain speak. You know, like you don't have to have a college degree to understand what he's talking about. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it. It's, it's simplicity. It's a simple message. Um, and then it makes, it's common sense. It's like common sense. Exactly. And if you listen to the economists that are on TV, and uh, I actually pay, played some uh, recordings of an economist that spoke at a, at a real estate uh, uh, market forecast a few months ago, um, talking about, you know, the, how stupid the tariffs were on steel. And, and to me, I say, hey, this is common sense. I spoke at, the, at that same thing. And I said, hey, Trump, uh, Mick Mulvaney, uh, Steve Mnuchin, uh, these guys are smart money guys. And they're common sense guys, and they're making decisions. And some of the economists go on TV and say, "Well, you know what? Uh, he's putting these tariffs, and I don't really know where it's going to end up. But you know, I see his reasoning, and uh, I just don't really want to predict whether it's going to be right or wrong. Uh, but because uh, they don't want to be, they don't want to say the wrong thing. And uh, but some of them are saying, "Oh, he's going to create a trade war. You know what? And he, you know, when when the the farmers are getting hurt by it, by the soybean thing." Uh, he says, "Hey, I'm going to go ahead and subsidize you guys because we're going to we're going to play this out. I'm going to make sure you guys aren't hurting in the meanwhile. But this is going to play out, and it's going to and it's going to make long term long term uh, long term positive uh, positive change in this country for the better. So uh, remember what he said at the at the G7 in June in uh, was it Belgium when he's meeting with the uh, the other six countries of the big uh, economics uh, uh, meeting." No tariffs, no barriers. That would, that's the way it should be. And no subsidies. I even said no tariffs. In other words, let's say Canada, where we have tremendous tariffs. The United States pays tremendous tariffs on dairy, as an example. 270%. Nobody knows that. Uh, we pay nothing. We don't want to pay anything. Why should we pay? We have to... Ultimately, that's what you want. You want a tariff-free, you want no barriers, and you want no subsidies, because you have some cases where countries are subsidizing industries, and that's not fair. So you go tariff-free, you go barrier-free, you go subsidy-free. That's the way you learned at the Wharton School of Finance. I mean, that would be the ultimate thing. Now, whether or not that works, but I did suggest it, and uh, people were, I guess they're going to go back to the drawing board and check it out. Yeah, the uh, he also he also basically told all the other all the other uh, leaders of those countries at the G7, hey, let's all go zero tariffs right now. I'm ready. To, you guys turn your tariffs to zero, and I'll turn mine to zero right now. And apparently, nobody wanted to do it at the G7 while the cameras were rolling and looked like they're like they're bowing down to uh, President Trump. Uh, when in fact, we are the economic superpower. They really have no choice. That's correct. And and you know two two final points in that. The first thing is I don't think Americans want to experience any pain at all. You know, short term pain certainly is what we're talking about. There will be some short term pain with establishing tariffs, but it's something that long term is going to be great for us. Coming back to to the trade war issue. Look, if in fact we get into any kind of trade war, small or large, we we will win, and everybody knows that. Yeah, we may we may not we may have to stop buying foreign cars. We have to stop buying so many uh, foreign anything else. And you know what? We've got we've got nice American cars here. We have American steel. We have American everything. And just the supply and demand. You know the the market is always right. I uh, I was talking to my uh, to my son who uh, who just sold his house uh, in Monrovia. They're moving up up to Northern California. And uh, and I said, you know what? 
here here's how it works. You know, because he's he's we're arguing about whether whether his house was priced right for how long it took, how long it was on the market. I say the market is always right. If you price it and people are coming to look at it, but they're not making offers, if if they're coming to look at it, you're priced right. If they're not making offers, it's either there's some you've got some uh, some nicer house that's in competition, or there's something wrong with the house. And so the market always always tells you the truth. If you're if you price it out there and you're not getting anybody coming to see it, you priced it wrong. People will buy what your product is worth, and the market will make the corrections. So uh, speaking of making America great, uh, making great deals, uh, we have a clip of a Trump supporter. Uh, after being interviewed in Washington, D.C. Uh, by some leftists who asked him, when was America great? And of course, uh, and then after that, after the confrontation, uh, Breitbart News asked him to comment on it. And here's what he said. She was trying to, let's say, spark an emotional response by what she was talking about was slavery. Because I feel, I guess she feels like, well, since I'm black, I have to relate to slavery. And that's got to be a hot button issue. Never mind the fact that we I've never been a slave, don't know anyone, and I'm not a slave, of course. She asked me the question, you know, on my hat, when was America great? I answered it like this. America has been great from the very start because this nation was founded on the principles of freeing us from tyranny. Okay, they were slaves and so forth. But there were a lot of people of all colors let's say white in this nation that did not feel like that was correct and this nation from that time has been moving out of tyranny from bondage in one way or another whether it be from Britain or whether it be from slavery as a whole in case she doesn't know there was a civil war and in part I say in part a whole lot of white people if you look at history died because they wanted this nation and people like myself to be free I believe that this nation gives you the right to move yourself up out of any poor, bad position that you're in like no other nation. It's called this, upward mobility, Ed. Exactly. It's called uh, the land of opportunity. This is a great country. That guy was right on. And uh, I wish we had more time to talk about it. But we're out of time for this episode of the main event. Scott, thanks for joining me once again. Ed, always a pleasure. And uh, my name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the main event. And I'll be back again with you next week. Content in this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 01147747 and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB Number 096199.